Daniel, welcome. This is Thanks phenomenal. We know each other for quite some time over social media, obviously. And um, uh, but what's interesting right now, I have book in my hand that she have written. Book just came out, but it's been a long journey for you to be able to say I can write a book and pass my knowledge to others. Because right this second, you're a successful property investor. You have different things that you're doing, which we're going to touch base during this conversation. But it didn't start there. It didn't start as a property investor with multiple properties all over the place. You started as an auto electrician yep. at Young Career. So, which is phenomenal because a lot of young individuals, we all have a kind of equal plain ground when we're starting our life journey. Yeah. And a lot of people get stuck and can't move forward or mentally they, they see this barrier how you know it, it's hard for me to go to the next level or to have successful business if that's what they want but you have done it yeah what's the secret of for you to say you know what 15 years 16 years of just continually yeah <laughs> continu continually just i guess always for me i was always manifesting from a very young age so i left school at year 10 yes uh i was just just turning 16 when i left i didn't know what i was going to do um, I fell into auto electrical because I didn't have a license. So yes. I, was, uh, I was actually wanting to be a carpenter. So I wanted yes. to build houses. And, which um, would be handy now. Which would, be, which would have worked, <laughs> yeah. Well, a lot better than auto electrical uh, trade. But I, I was uh, essentially what I was wanting to do was be uh, a carpenter, do my trade. That was how I saw myself like, okay, just do a trade. My dad did a trade. I do a yes. trade. Um, I came home, told my dad I got a, I got a job uh, and I can do this carpentry trade, but I need to get driven every day to this particular spot. My dad said, no, nah, that's not happening. I'm not taking you anywhere. And I'm like, how am I going to get to the job? And dad's like, well, don't do it. Just come work for me because yeah. I'm, I'm too busy to, to take you to the, to the job every day. Yes. You're not going to be able to get there and back, so you're going to have to wait until you get your license. And I'm like, that's another year away. Yes. So I thought I'll and do... When you're, when you're at that age, yeah... Oh. It's like a century. Oh, it feels like forever. And yes. I'm thinking to myself, okay, I don't really want to give this job up, but like, I can't get there. So I had to tell the guy, I'm sorry, I can't, there's no means for me to get there until I'm 17. So I thought I'll work for my dad for one year as an auto electrician. And I'm like, I don't want to be in that trade, but I'll do one year. It's, it's a job. It'll give me a start. And then uh, I was about three or four months into it and New South Wales TAFE uh, people came around, knocked on the door and said, you can't be like leaving school and not doing a trade. If you're working here, you have to, you have yeah. to actually do the trade. So dad put me on as a uh, apprentice and then I started doing uh, my, my TAFE. I did my first year and I thought there's only four years in this trade. I might as well just keep going now. Um, so yeah, I kept, I kept going, but I always had, so from the age of 16, I was studying property. So it's funny, like I was doing the job, but like I knew that, I knew that if I wanted to be wealthy or if I wanted more, I had to do something outside of that job. And that's because like when I was younger, I was thinking to myself, I'm not going to be a lawyer. I'm not going to be a doctor. I'm not going to be earning massive money. I'm not going to university. So I have to reverse engineer what I'm doing and say, okay, because I'm not going to earn three, four, five hundred thousand dollars a year. How do I start to compound my wealth as quick as I possibly can at a young age yes. so that when I do get to my 30s, I'm, you know, surpassed the doctors and the lawyers and they're trying to catch me at that point. So that's yeah. what my thinking was uh, yes. around, around doing it. So, yeah. And, and um, how many 
property deals have you done so far? Oh, it'd be nearly a thousand now. Yeah, it's huge. How, it's, many, how many of your own property deals that you have done? Um, I've sold a few and I've bought a few. I'm probably near the 30 on my own. Yeah. 30. Yeah. Tell me about your first property deal. Yeah, so my first property deal was 2011. Uh, it was a, uh, actually a subdivided block. And I, it sort of came to me, I was, I was 19 years old at yes. the time. I had pretty much stuff all money and I, used, I was skydiving at the time. So I had a, yes. uh, my skydiving pack was worth a few thousand dollars. I had saved a little bit of money between 16 and 19 because I knew I wanted to buy. Yes. This opportunity came up near me uh, and it was a, a split block. Yes. So it was starting to get built the house, but the person that was building the house couldn't finish the house. Yes. So they said, well, we own the house next door we're going to sell this one that's half built. Yes. So they sold it to me half built. And then yes. I finished it. Um, I remember like I had to sell my car. I had to sell my skydiving gear. And the skydiving gear was three grand back in the day. And that three grand put my driveway in. Which is interesting. But my first deal, I sold my car. Yeah. Yeah. And um, by the way, I didn't make a million dollars out of the car. I got like $5,000 yeah. out of it. You yeah. Know yeah. I mean? So I sold my car and literally used every dollar for deposit so I can borrow yep. money to actually buy the house. Yeah. So looking back now from zero to 30 homes, yep. one, two, you also have a buyer's agency where you yep. buy properties on behalf of other investors. Yep. Successful buyer's agency. But looking back now, there's a lot of people that want to start, right? Yeah. They, they want to buy that first property. They yep. want to have 30 homes over time or 50 or or whatever it is that they want to try to achieve, what is one thing you can tell them how to start and where to start? First thing I'd say is if you're starting out, start with learning. And the reason for it is because what no one starts out being wealthy, right? Like, so when you're, when you're young, you're not like, you don't just grow up going, I know the blueprint to become wealthy, right? Yes. You have to learn that, that skill. Yes. So for me, it's like do as much, uh, so for me, I was doing courses. When I was 17, 18, I spent uh, $8,000 on a property course when I was yes. 17. Everyone around me, my parents, my family, everyone was like, that's a scam. What are you doing? $8,000 is a lot of money back, yes. back in those days. And was I, today. It's probably 20 grand right now. And I remember thinking to myself, but I don't have the knowledge that I know I need. So if I don't have the knowledge that I know that I need, then I need to go out there and buy that course. I need to start to learn because the more knowledge I have, the more I can see the opportunities, right? And the problem is, is what most people don't realize is they, when they're building up, they may have enough money, but they don't see the opportunities because they don't have the skill set to see the opportunities. As my career in property investing, in business and everything, as it's grown and my knowledge has grown, and I think this is why people say, you know, it takes 10, 15, 20 years to become successful. But as you do it over a decade, right? You actually don't realize how much knowledge you've acquired mm. over that decade. So when you're starting out, you're say, saying, I want to be this, I want to be that rich, but you're not realizing that you're missing the education side of it. And the education comes through the decade. So learn as quick as you can, right? Fail as quick as you can, because you will learn from that. And that was exactly what I was doing when I was young. Like it was like every course I could take. So when I was 16, there was a, a Sky Business channel that talked about property yes. and it talked about shares it talked about everything i remember i was 16 i thought this is the most boring channel i've ever seen and i sat there and watched it every night and i would just watch it from 16 to 20 years old i just watched this show every single night and i had no idea what they were talking about yeah. and i'm thinking the jargon that they're talking about is just like i don't know but then i 
sat there and I thought, I'm going to sit here and listen until I understand exactly what they're saying. Yeah. And I understand what they're doing because they've been doing this for 20 years. How can I start to learn? And that was free knowledge for me. Yes. So I did that every single day until I got to a point where I go, you know what? I, I understand that. And I remember going to the first course, it was eight grand. And I probably knew 80% of it. Like yeah. I was there, I'm like, yeah, I already know that. Yep, yeah, already know that. Because I'd been but doing this daily. That you didn't know. Yes, but then there was those couple of little things. And the problem is, is people think that when they go get some education, that they should have everything in the one thing, like as a yeah. box, like here is your secret source. Go out there and and, yes. and and now you can create all the wealth. I've given you the secret source. It's not that. It's every course, every book, everything you do is one step closer. It's not 10 steps closer. See, the thing is, property is not cheap business to get yeah. into. Yeah. Because, you know, the reality is, if you want to start your property journey, you can't buy something for $500. Yeah. There's a good chance it's going to cost you three, four, five hundred thousand dollars or million Minimum. dollars or whatever it yeah. is. Minimum. Yeah. So if you don't know what you're doing, if you didn't actually gain enough knowledge, so it could be following other people, could be having mentors, could be reading a book, could be attending your course, yeah. whoever's course, you know, if you don't have that, then you're really shooting blind. 100%. And that is the first thing that I see with a lot of investors that try to buy um, uh, apartments from a developer. Yeah, off the plan. And off the plan, yeah. right? You know, it's phenomenal if the price is going to go up over two years yep. while, while it's developing because, you know, what happened um, historically, somebody can buy something of the plan for $500,000, yep. two years later, market went up and it's worth seven hundred. Yep. But what if it's not? Yes. So there's yeah. no adding value. And then you've got to come Full up with stop. the extra money that the valuation Historically, <laughs> again, that has happened as well. Yeah. So if people did gain a bit of education, you know, then they can learn. Maybe that's not the right thing to do for the first property. Maybe we should buy a shitty house on a good yep. sized block of land where the upside is, is bigger. They can add value. They can renovate. They can detonate. They yep. can, you know, the, the, the values in the land and so on. So that was point. my focus. My focus was old houses. Like, no, like my first one was brand new. And I look back and say, I did well off that deal because it was a split block. So what happened was I got in cheap because it was half built. Correct. So I built that. That whole thing cost me uh, 324000 Yes. That was land and house in Sydney, yes. right? So house and land, Sydney, 2011. Second house I bought, though, was a mortgagee sale. House was trashed inside. We had, you know, holes in the walls because there was a domestic violence that happened and the guy had smashed everything up. And then we went in there and fixed it all up. I bought it for $310,000 and the guy bought it for like $308,000 yes. four years earlier. So I bought it for the same money that he bought four years earlier. That property was three hundred and ten grand. I fixed it up, rented it out. It's now worth about nine hundred thousand. Adding value. Yep. So interesting. You know, there's a lot of successful young entrepreneurs like yourself that scaled their property portfolio, um, uh, and the the reality is there's so much you can do with your income. Yes. So if you are earning eighty thousand dollars a year, yes, you do want to scale it to thirty properties or fifty yep. or hundred. And I think we had a discussion before this um, uh, podcast started. And um, so how do you scale from, let's say I'm 20 years old, which was almost yesterday, and I buy a first property and banks will only lend me money for another one because I created the equity in the first one. I can pull the equity out, but I still got the same income. Yep. How can I scale it? Yeah, so I think that's one of the because biggest Because there's troubles. so much I can do with $80,000 income, right? Exactly, exactly. So what happens is your active income, which is what you're earning, is going to be what's determined for serviceability with the banks, right? So 
if you're wanting to use leverage, which to build wealth, you have to use leverage, yeah. right? So if you're wanting to use leverage, most people they don't think about is how do I increase my active income so that I can continue to show uh, a good income to the bank so that I can continue to leverage so I can build wealth because building wealth and buying the property is a byproduct of what you've done actively, right? So for me, when I was younger, I was an auto electrician. I was earning $254 a week when I started, which is not very much. And I knew though that that was just the start. Then I earned $750 a week uh, as a tradesman auto electrician. Then I got offered a job being a train driver on $750 a week to start. Yes, yes. And I thought to myself, okay. Did you say I'm, train driver? Yeah, this is freight trains. So I used to drive uh, freight trains, 800 meter freight trains, 4,000 ton tra right. freight trains. So I did that for seven, eight years. And what I, what I knew though is I need more, as much income as I possibly can to yeah. keep servicing. So I was like, sorry, dad, love you, but I've got to leave yes. you, right? So dad knew why, why I was doing it. And he said, hey, go. Auto electrical is not going to be the place where you're going to make the money, right? So I said, okay, I'm going to go do train driving. The reason for it was I started on the same wage as a train driver that took me five years in auto electrical to get there. Yes. And train driving could get me a lot further. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go to that. Then I started to study and I learned I, I earned a bit more money. I ended yes. up getting to about, I think my final wage was $119,000. Yes. Then I started going from that to eventually four or five years into it, started a business on the side. Yeah. And I had a business running and I was driving freight trains. So I used to drive freight trains at night, business during the day. I used to do 20 hour stints yes. with no sleep, right? But I knew that the, it was all about what's my active income to keep tra transitioning it. Because if you want to build wealth and you want to do it quick, it's how quick can I get active income to transition it into passive, mm -hmm. right? How do I get my wealth passively? I think what most people do is they hate their jobs. So what they do is they think of just the passive side of things like, oh, I just want to be retired, passive income. And it's like, yeah, but how do you get there? Because you can't just get 10, 15 assets and have yeah. passive income. It's not that simple. You have to get active income to transition that. So stop thinking that I just want to get out of working yes. and I want passive. Start thinking about how do I get active income and increase that yeah. to the point where I go, well, it used to take me a year or two years to buy one house. Now I can do two houses yeah. a year or three houses a year. And which, is, which is interesting what you say because there has been um, a lot of online courses yeah. that a lot of property investors or whatever they call themselves, where they are saying, this is how you can buy properties with no money down. Yep. America, right? Eh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I still didn't learn that, you know, trade, how to um, um, do that. And, and there's a lot of talks out there. This is how you can go from zero to 100 properties in five years' time. Yeah. And um, what a lot of people are not talking is the details. Yeah. How can you actually buy the first property? The reality is you do have to save some money. Yes. I sold my car. You sold everything. Yeah, you sell what you have to and you get you, you get know what you have I mean? To yeah. Um, uh, and, and that's something that not many people are saying. Yes, you can become a successful property investor, mm -hmm. but there are the steps. The yep. reality is, I mean, I had a, I had a, um, a big event in Brisbane and a thousand people there and we did a Q&A and I was talking about property investment. And one of the guys, and, and I was saying that you really need, you know, fifty dollars to $100,000 to actually buy a first property yes. today. Yeah. And gentleman asked me a question, but how do I get that fifty or hundred thousand dollars? Yeah. How do I get it? Yeah. I said, very simple. You gotta get probably five jobs for you to actually save that money yep. to be starting. Hard work to start. I mean, for me it was hard work. I, I say to everyone, I say it's like a snowball rolling down a hill, right? 
if you've got a really small snowball, it's going to roll down. It takes time to get momentum and get bigger. But the bigger it gets and the heavier it gets, it rolls down quicker. So when you start, when you start with your first property, it feels like it takes forever. So if you look at my journey, I started thinking about property between 15 and 16 years old. I bought my first property when I was 19, just about to turn 20, right? There was a journey in between that of just learning and just saving and just grinding away, doing extra works. Like I used to, you know, um, work my job, but then I would work Saturdays extra for my dad. And then I would also stay back at night for my dad and say, hey, I'll rebuild alternators and starter motors. And he'd give me $5 every one I did. Yeah. It took me two hours to do one. It's bad, bad, <laughs> bad hourly rate, right? But every, every $5 counted because it was cash. And I thought, I'll live off that cash money throughout the week. That means all my money goes into savings. That means I'm going to get there. But the problem is what people don't understand is to get to the easier times, which means that you've got abundance of equity and you can just be buying buildings and doing what you want. You've got to go through the hard times. And the hard times is, how do I get my first deposit? And that's like, hey, you're going to need to have really due diligence in, in saving. You're going to need yeah. to work on your active income. You're going to need to uh, make sure that you're not spending too much on liabilities. Yeah. Like my rough rule of thumb is 10% of your entire net worth should go on liabilities, yes. right? 10%. Most people are spending 50 to 100% on literally liabilities every yeah. single year. But if you spend 10%, you automatically save money yeah. because you're not spending money on liabilities. So I think, I think um, uh, the society and temptation of everything that we see around us is almost teaching us to be big spenders. Massively. You know Instagram, I mean? everyone wants to go out and they want to be shown, well, look and, at and the steak all, I'm eating, look at this that correct. I'm eating, $100. And there's, also, and there's also a lot more, you know, um, when I was um, you know, growing up, I guess, you know, there, yes, you can get credit card, but now there's an afterpay. There's, yep. there's so many opportunities you have to get yourself into debt. Yes. That will not help you to borrow money tomorrow. Yep. Do you know what I mean? I think the problem is with that is as well is no one physically sees the money anymore, right? So it used Correct. to be that you get your paycheck and here it is and it's sitting there and you go, okay, you see it disappearing out of your hands and you don't yeah. like that. Whereas these days they tap the numbers, and they just go, oh, the numbers, the numbers are gone. They'll come back next week. But they keep doing that cycle of work, get rid of their money, work, get rid of their money yes. um, instead of saving it because they don't have the tangible money in their hands. So yeah. interesting. Your focus is a little bit different to my focus in property development. Yes, yeah. In property investing. Um, and I always say in property investing, there's no right or wrong as long as yep. the strategy you have is working it's safe, yeah. for you. Yep. It's working for you. My strategy over the past 20 years, I've developed about $300 million worth of properties to have $100 million worth of properties today. Yep. So, but what I've been, I've been developing, I buy stuff, I add value. Yep. I sell. I buy stuff, I add value, I sell. The reality is today, I don't have rental income. I got no yep. money coming in. Yeah. It's what you have done. You have built a portfolio that if you stop everything today, keeps paying. Keeps paying dividends yep. and properties keep going up in value. Yeah. Why did you chose that road? The reason I chose that was because if I went into property, and I've done a few property developments, so I finished one off a year and a bit ago, but the problem was, when I do too much in the development space, it takes yes. my eye off my active income. So yes. I talk about this actually in my courses and my book where you've got, to, you've got to identify what type of income you're trying to get. Correct. So if you're doing development, it's an active income, meaning that you need your skill set, you need your time, and you need some form of team behind you, right? Correct. So what happened was for me was I was so focused on building my wealth actively, which yeah. wasn't development, which was like businesses and stuff like that. So yeah. I'm like... I don't have enough time to do business 
and developing. Yes. So I'm like, I need to focus on one. And the problem is everyone tries to focus on everything. Yeah. But I'm like, just just keep keep on to one thing. So I focused on building my businesses because that was my active income. That was my development, right? So I was just doing that. Just to stop that. you there, I just had a conversation with um, the amazing gentleman that washes my cars. He's got a great little business. And, um, and I was talking to him about property development. I yep. said, the biggest problem with property development is you're not getting any dollars yeah. till you, your entire journey is spending money, till you sell it and then settle the property. Yep. So that development might take you a year, two, three, or whatever the hell it is. Yeah. There's no money coming There's back in. There's nothing coming back in. Yeah. So one thing I said that I have done, which is very similar to you, I built a cash flow business. Yes. Business that I get dollar coming every single day yep. that allows me to do property development, that allows me to invest in other companies. But, and that's one thing that if you are going to be property developer, it's a different skill it's different. to yeah. actually buying properties, adding value and keeping them and renting them out. And a different type of property too, right? Like you do a lot of luxury stuff because it's higher return. So you, you're going to do something in the luxury space because if you're going to spend the same amount of time to develop it, you might as well get the biggest return out of it for the time you Correct. spend. Whereas for, for what we're doing, we're doing more of the affordable side of it. So you might be buying something between five hundred and $900,000, uplifting value and then renting it out. So let's say that you bought, you know, for rough rule of thumbs, you buy a house for uh, 500 grand, right? You buy it for 500 grand, rents for 500 a week. Well, within a decade, it's probably worth a million. It rents for a thousand a week. Yeah. You're now collecting the spread. And if you do it 10 times, you've got cash flow for the rest of your life. Correct. The real trick though, which is what I like, is as I'm building my cash flow business, I'm building my passive side, which takes me very little time. So yes. as I keep acquiring, I've just acquired another building actually when we were here yesterday. But as I keep acquiring my, my properties and buildings, what I'm doing is I'm buying properties where once I have done the little renovation or done something to it's it, parked. it's parked, right? But then as it keeps growing, because I've got, let's say you have 10 properties and they all go, grow 100 grand that year each, yes. right? You've made a million dollars, right? You haven't done anything for the million. Now, actively, you could have made money. Passively, yes. you've made a million. But the, the trick is with this is now I can access that million dollars. I can access it for the interest rate, which is say 6 or 7%. Yes. So I can access a million dollars tax-free, for example. Yes. Now, all of a sudden, as I'm building my cash flow business, I'm over here spending a little bit, a small slither of my equity. Yes. I'm never paying taxes on it. So when somebody does a development and they turn around and go, okay, cool, I just have to wipe out this in tax bills and GST bills and stuff like that. I'm doing the other, other way where I'm like, no, if I spend a million dollars tax-free from my portfolio, that's because yes. it's gone up 10 million, Correct. right? So I then I'm getting access to a lot more tax-free money and then the rents over time are covering the extra yes. bill that I have. Yes. You know, for every 100 grand, the interest rate is say, everyone says interest rates are expensive and they are to a lot of people, yes. right? But if you think about it in a different way, if you spend $100,000, um, let's say you take 100 grand out of your properties, it costs you $6,000, right, mm -hmm. to take the 100 grand out. It's like saying, well, can you beat the rate of interest return? Like, yes. So if the interest rate costs you six grand, why can't you just go use $100,000 to go buy another asset and yes. beat $6,000 that it costs Correct. you? This is where the middle class gets stuck because they, they think about the six grand that it costs them yes. per year. I think about like, if you give me 100 grand, I can beat six grand, Correct. right? And then I can do that 10 times over and I'm, fa and I'm, I'm focusing on my active income. And then eventually what happens is you're struggling to yes. actively out-earn what your passive side is doing because it's growing. Massively. Why do you think we had 14, 13, 14 interest rate rises over 
just been about 12 months time. Yeah. Why do you think we haven't seen real estate collapse? Supply and demand is going to be the main thing, right? Uh, we've got obviously immigration that's coming in and backfilling a lot of that demand. Uh, so that's, that's one reason. But um, we've seen it throughout history. I know that you know, we've seen interest rates rise in the past and properties still go up in value. And in fact, in 2000 or 2009, um, Brisbane doubled in value, mm. right? So we see higher interest rates and, and a market doubling value because at the end of the day, interest rates and the cost of money, so interest rates is just the cost of money, the yes. cost of money still doesn't determine the factor 100% of what the cost of a property should be worth, yes. right? What determines that is the, uh, the supply and the demand of that yes. property. So as we saw interest rates rising, we've also seen you know, property developers because of inflation. The reason behind it is why did interest rates rise? Yes. Well, because the inflation rose. Well, inflation rose, that means the property prices had to have stayed steady because the cost to rebuild that asset's mm. gone up. So if the cost to rebuild the assets gone up, there's less builders that can actually replicate those properties for the same price. They have to put their prices mm. up, which is why we saw a lot of builders go broke because they couldn't match, they couldn't keep mm. the margins. So if they couldn't keep the margins, what happens? Well, property prices have to stay steady because everyone's buying established property at that time because and, the cost and at the to replicate is too of, high. A lot of, I mean, this year or last past 12 months, we had the lowest building approvals yep. in the last 20 years. Yeah. Which means you do have a migration yep. that is coming constantly here and you've got a lot less time. And we had an undersupply problem, right? Like we had an undersupply problem at 0% interest rates. We now have a massive undersupply problem. These interest rates are, what, what I say to people is, these interest rates are masking the real problem, right? Yes. Higher interest rates means lower demand for property. Yes. But luckily, we've, got, we've, we've also got lower supply. Yes. Now, let's, say that, let's just say that we decided inflation just disappears, right? Let's just say hypothetically, it, it goes back down to 2%. Um, we drop interest rates because the economy is slowing. Yeah. What happens at that point? We see that inflation is dropped. We see interest rates drop. The demand has to pick up for property because the yes. cost of money has dropped so more people can afford it, yes. right? But we've had a period of years where we've slowly built since COVID, right? So we haven't had as many buildings going on because yes. of the inflation and because of the costs and the fear of people going broke mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So we see the true undersupply when interest rates drop, which is why I tell people, if interest rates drop one or 2%, mm. we're in for a hell of a crisis from a property crisis. 100%, and th they will eventually drop as well. Yes. One of the things I always say, people keep saying that all these people that purchased properties five years ago, that got themselves into you know, fixed interest rate five years ago, they're yeah. coming off it now, yep. you know, they're in trouble. And I keep saying to everybody, no, they're not. Yep. And why they're not, Emil? Because anybody that purchased anything five years ago, yep. today, they have so much equity. They're making the money if they sold it. <laughs> they, they, they've got so much equity. If somebody bought anything in Australia for $500,000 five years ago, it's probably worth seven fifty dollars now. Yep. And you know, so people, if they do have pressure, either they can take equity out or yep. they can sell the property and not panic. The problem is yeah. if you buy something for five hundred. And five years later, it's worth 500 yeah. or 400. Then if you want to sell it, then yeah. you actually have an issue. Yeah. But historically, that has been very solid when it comes to the values going up. And the biggest thing with that is because of the price increases were so quick, right? So because the prices were, were so quick within, say, a two-year period within COVID, yes. that meant that a lot of people are in equity gains because yes. it happened so quickly, there's a lot less people that don't have that equity. So... The top of the market, I say, let's say the top of the market where it sort of got to the point where interest rates started rising, 
Um, there's a lot less people at the top of the market where they're riding that sort of 90% LVRs because a lot of them, even if you bought it at 90% LVR, now probably sit at 60% LVR because Correct. of how quick the market moved. Correct. So there's a lot less people in, in crisis. And like you said, I mean, I think it's a, if people got taught this knowledge, it's, it's very easy, right? Let's say that you bought a property, uh, that property goes, grows in value over COVID time and people saying, oh, they're going to get into trouble. They can't pay their bills. The cost has gone up. Refi it. Go get $100,000 out. Work out what you can do to cash flow that property for, say, three years. Use the hundred grand to cash flow it. People then would say, well, but then I'm using hundred grand of that money. Well, you didn't have to work for that money anyway. Correct. It went up. So let's say it went up 400000 Yeah, it goes up four hundred grand, but you use hundred grand to make sure you keep the house. And, and you keep breathing. Why? Yeah, that's it. Why are you upset? Yes. Right? That's how I look at it. So it's the same as me when I build my portfolio. You know, I've, um, for example, I might go buy when I bought my Lamborghini and I'll just go, you know, what? I'll use some equity out of my properties. And the reason I'll do that is because if I spread it over a 30 year term, the, the actual bills on that is so low that it's better to do that and then use the cash that I have to be able to go acquire uh, more assets, right? Because the assets that I acquire are going to grow a lot more than what would the Lamborghini, right? 100%. So I use the, I use the equity to, to buy my Lamborghini. I can cash flow the um, I can cash flow the repayments on yes. that because they're so low. That's like it's like a Toyota Hilux to me now yes, because yes, yes. I'm doing it with property. Yes, and then I use because that you money. A, but you had to have the equity to do that. Exactly, which is interesting. When I was I'm 44, I'm a little bit older than you. When I was growing up, I came to Australia when I was 16 and age 16, 17, 18. I, there was not that much temptation. I couldn't see a Lamborghini every day. Yeah. I couldn't see it on TV or on Instagram or anywhere. Yeah. There was no freaking Instagram when I was yeah. you know, growing up. Um, uh, but right now, society is giving us so much temptation out there. Yeah. On social media, you, know, you see thousand different cars every day. You see successful people. You see people being happy. How does somebody who is 22 years old, how can he get out of his head and, and start thinking, you know what? Sacrifice 10, 15 years, then buy a Lamborghini. Because naturally, even if they save 200 grand, first thing they want to do is borrow a little bit more so they can actually have a yeah. supercar that's, that's going to set them back instead of help them move forward. Because if they use $200,000 that they somehow saved and they borrow a little bit more, start yeah. renovating a house or buy one, rent it out, whatever it is, that's going to help them in the future a lot faster. Yeah. How do you think that we can actually get young generation today to say, hey, read yeah. this book, yeah. follow this guy, get educated, invest, and then one day buy it? Yeah. Because everybody wants everything today. Yeah, delay gratification. I mean, at the end of the day, I think if you're wanting to, if that's what you want, right? You want a car, you want a Lamborghini, you want a boat, you want a house, whatever it is that, that's going to be an expensive liability. I think that those people need to go, okay, cool. So... I need to put that as a 10-year goal. Yeah. I need to then work out how much passive income or how much my wealth needs to be growing without me doing anything. Yes. And then that is what you're working off. So people are working too much off their active income. Yes. So what I mean by that is they're making $200,000 a year and then justifying that they can buy a $100,000 car. Yes. Can you buy afford a $100,000 car? Because if you don't have a job, can you afford the car still? If the answer is no, they shouldn't have a car, right? Yes. And but people are, think, are justifying it in that way because they don't want to delay gratification. Yes. My thinking was always when I go to buy that car, the, my my passive side has to pay for it. Yes. And that means that if it sits in the garage, there's no fears yes. that it's like 
I'm not sitting there worried about like, God, I got a Lamborghini. Hopefully, no one scratches it, or I got I got a Lamborghini, and I, I I don't want to drive it, and put kilometers on it. It's going to drop in value. Like you don't care at that point because something that you didn't have to work for in the end is paying for it, yes. and then you're just continually building. The other things as well is whenever you buy a liability, if it stops you borrowing more money to buy more assets, yes. then you shouldn't be doing it because so many people I've seen uh, even come through, you know, wanting to invest with us. And I say, oh, you, you can't buy a second house because you have a $150,000 car loan. Yes. And I'm like, see, you shouldn't have a $150,000 car loan because then you could have bought another yes. house and that house would then grow exponentially, which then goes to the next one. Very rarely they're going to go up in value. That's exactly. A, that's a luxury, luxury And you're chasing life. your tail, right? Like you get five years down the track and it's an old car. Now you want a new one. I think, I think it's very crucial for any young individual to create a 10-year plan. Yeah. And it's very easy to map it out is, okay, if I'm putting my money into this, could be self-education, could be business, could be investing into property or whatever it is, or if I actually buy a half a million dollar car, if I do something stupid, yeah. you know, what's going to get you to your goals in 10 years faster? Yes. You'll see, you know, this way you might build a net worth of, I don't know, a million, two or five. This way you might only get halfway. Yeah. So it's, it's the balance of actually, um, uh, and, and I think that, Everything that we are convincing ourselves into, we are always right. Yes. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? If, if me yeah, and you, you convince you ourselves to You woo yourself go, into thinking that it's the correct, correct. correct thing. Yeah. So sometimes it's not a bad thing to mm. actually get a third person who yeah. can see with a you know, fresh pair of eyes and clear head. Yeah. Hey, you're going this way. This is where you're going to stuff up. And this, if you go this path, this is how you're going to get further. Yeah. So I think it's us convincing ourselves into anything. I always say, you know, your brain is your best friend and your biggest enemy. Yeah. You know, you can beat yourself up thinking something is yeah. bad or your brain can tell you, hey, let me just deal with it and move on. It's funny because I, I talk about that in the book, basically saying that, that your mind is your roadmap, right? Like, before anything becomes a reality, it has to be a reality in here. Yes. And what happens is, and I've done this for many years, for example, 2019, my wife and I uh, turned up to a house in the Northern Beaches, could not afford this house, right? We turned up to this house, it's $10 million, it's waterfront $10 million house. I turn up this house and I'm just sitting there visualizing how one day I'd get somewhere. And I think it is to important that. to visualize it. It is, you have to, you have to. But, because but visualizing it and not taking action. And not taking it, yes. Not taking action. It's called a fucking dreamer. Exactly. You know, yeah, visualizing yeah. it and taking action together. Yeah. I think that is crucial. Yeah, exactly. You have to do it. And I think if you have a partner, you have to make sure that the partner is 100% with you. Because if you aren't on the same page as your partner in building, it's two people going in opposite ways. It's going to be very hard. It's like you just... Or marriage won't last. Exactly. And you're both just tightrope, just one to the other. It's like, who, how are you going to get there? So... For me, my wife and I, the, I think one of the biggest successes we've been able to have is we've been able to, we used to do two walks a day, morning and night. And we used to just talk about what we want to earn, what we, where we want to be. We used to talk about the future and how it would look. What we do is we're manifesting our reality over time, but we're doing it together so that we're both on the same page. So that when we do get there, that we both realize that we were going to get there in time, but we were on the same page doing it. Whereas, you know, some people you see, you know, the husband or whatever, he's quietly like manifesting. He's quite like, I really want this or I really want that. And the wife's out there spending thousands of dollars. 
and it's like you were going you got a in different a vibe. You're going, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's cheaper, isn't it? Right? She's behind the camera, she's smiling. <laughs> she's like, stop this interview right now. <laughs> You're the perfect one. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you, you know, you don't want to have opposing uh, thoughts. Like you yeah. want to come together and manifest it together. So like that house that we looked at, we didn't buy it obviously because we couldn't afford it. Yeah. But fast forward to 2023, we bought a house. I am literally right opposite in the exact same street within that. And it's the, one of the most quiet streets in Northern Beaches. And I, I turned up to the house. So I didn't even know it was in that street. I turned up the house and I was like, 2019, we were visualizing there and now we're living just here. Yes. And I'm right, like, fine. how did that happen? Well, we, we kept visualizing and we made it our reality over time by visualizing yes. it. And then because you're visualizing it to the point where it becomes your reality, yes. you start taking action that that drives back to the reality that you've built in your head right yes. so like if you want a car for example you don't go buy a car until you know you deserve that car yes but you keep that in the back of your mind to say that is a little bit of my why that's a yes. little bit of the driver behind me yes. because if you have that why and the driver behind you you will sustain action for 10 and 15 years yes. to be able to get it the worst thing that most people do though is they don't have a why. They don't even know why they're doing it. They just want to be wealthy. I just want I want millions. And usually they attach the why to I want millions. And, and I think the biggest problem is when they start doing stuff just for the money. Exactly. Because when you're doing it just for the money, when things get tough, you yep. fucking quit. In a exactly. Minute. You just quit. And and the same thing as well. When things get good, right? Yeah. Have a look at the people that have, you know. I know you talk about Simon Beard, right? He's still pushing with other businesses. He's still uh, pushing. Last Friday, right? he called me up. He said, Emil, we're starting this company together now, the new one. Um, it's just something completely different that, that both of us have done it. I was like, Simon, tomorrow you got a freaking, you know, massive event at your own house. You got a housewarming, you know, you got people everywhere today getting everything ready and you calling me talking yeah. about the new business you should start tomorrow. So relax for the day, you know. Yeah. But it becomes, you know... Well, your why isn't your money, right? Like you were talking about, don't make... Don't make a, making millions your it's why. It's good to have a purpose to, yes. you know, for anything that you're doing it. Now, for anybody that sees you now, they are thinking it's just clean run. It's easy. It's, it's great. You know, you, you started from nothing. You got, you know, 30 plus homes. You got a successful mm. business. You got a lovely wife, amazing business partner. Yes. Um, yeah. Not just a wife. And, um, uh, and then you got a Lamborghini. Tell me the challenges of being a property investor. That people don't see uh, the challenges. The challenges are that, like, it take it does require work. Um, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. When I look back at my first property and look back now, people always ask me, "Did it get easier?" And I'm like, "It doesn't get easier. It gets harder. It, it does get harder." It's like playing a video game, right? You go through levels of the video game. You can go you, when you're at start, you're at level one, right? You think level one's hard. Mm. Then you get to the very end and you think, okay, this is also just as hard yeah. as level one because you're getting better at doing playing the game, yes. but it's still just as hard because each level is getting harder. The more assets you control, yeah. the harder it is. The more businesses you control, the harder it is. You just learn to cope with it better. Tell me your biggest mistake in property investing. Biggest, one. biggest mistake. Biggest mistake was... I always keep telling people, I had a, let me pick one out of the thousand. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm trying to think what the... I've had a few, but... I would say like one of my biggest mistakes was pre-COVID. I could have pushed to a, a property uh, for $1.6 million. It's now worth about $4 million. And, and I didn't push to it. And it was my own, again, limiting belief. I, I got stopped in terms of finance. So they were saying, no, you can't do finance. And instead of me pushing the angle, and I now know how I could have got around it. Yes. But back then, I didn't, right? 
And I was the like, knowledge and I, is power. And I, and exactly, that's why I come back to you know, like that one deal, I could have got there, but it took me another couple of years to learn how I could have got there. Yes. And it was from me going from one mortgage broker to another mortgage broker to another mortgage broker to keep seeking advice to eventually know. I mean, that property sold, but you know, 1.6 to $4 million in three years is, is a lot of money to lose. So I've done that. I've also uh, backed out of deals. 2012, 2013, I backed out of deals for $350,000 yes. that, that were in Sydney that are now worth over a million dollars because of lenders' mortgage insurance. I remember thinking to myself, no, I'm not paying 25 grand in lenders' mortgage insurance. Yes, yes. Scarcity mindset, not abundant mindset. Mindset. But you learn as you go in life. You know, you were not exactly. born with the knowledge that yeah. you have today. Now, I agree with something in this book and I also disagree. Yeah. And I'll tell you why. This is Daniel's book, which is just available now on Amazon, correct? Yes. Yeah. Six principles to retire younger and richer. Now, I agree with everything. Yeah. I think this teaches you the ability yeah. to retire younger. But what I don't disagree, what I disagree is I don't think you will ever retire. <laughs> no, no. Everyone says that to me. Everyone says, when would you retire? I think, I actually feel you, you like. never. But this, this gives you ability and I agree with everything yeah, here. Yeah. But, um, uh, you know, it gives you ability to retire if you want to. I but I think, yeah. I think when you create an engine within yourself, yep. you know, I think it's very important for us to be always active. 100%. You know what I mean? Growth. Um, might, not be, might not be, you know, um, working as under pressure like we are now might be a little yep. bit easier yeah but you know you always want to keep yourself active and i think the personality like yourself yeah yes you can retire today but you will never retire and i think i think as well with that and you're probably the same as me where you have those moments where you do think okay you know what i wish i could just sit on the beach every day but if you did do that for 48 hours you're like yes you're thinking of 10 ideas while you're sitting on the beach and you, your mind's going at yes. 100 mile an hour it's almost, which is why I tell people, I actually like going a lot, lot of mini breaks, two, three days. Because yes. when I go on a mini break, I turn my mind on, right? Yes. Most people go on, most middle-class people will go to a break to turn their mind off. Yes. I go there to get clarity. But, but what break gives you is, so people think break, you know, your, your, your brain is dead and you're just resting, right? Yep. But sometimes having time yep. to think, is the best break you can have. You can see things you couldn't see when you were in it. Yeah. I'm going to ask you a few questions about this book. Yeah. Um, uh, which is interesting. If somebody wants to write a book, do you go to a publisher or do you publish it yourself? Um, I went to a publisher. So what happened with me was I went to a publisher and I was about one chapter into it. And I said to her, uh, this is the book that I'm writing. And she said, oh, I want to change it. Oh, and I'm thinking about it. And I said, then he's not You're not changing my book. <laughs> I, said, I said, this is my book. And I said, don't worry about it. I'll write the whole thing and come back to you once it's finished. So I spent two years writing yes. and finishing it because I went over it seven times. And by and the then, time you finished it, then you didn't need to publish it. Exactly. And then I walked back into him and I said, there you go. I said, there it is. It's finished and you're not changing anything. And they took it. They took it straight, straight as it was, yes. um, which, which was what I wanted because I know that a lot of people that get their, their books published, the publisher changes the book so it's not them anymore yes. whereas to me it was like no i like for example the actual title of it the six principles um they wanted to change the title and they yes. said oh we want to change the title i said no way i said that's the title i want and i'm like it's either that or i'll self-publish it but they end up taking it uh, <laughs> but i think the, the the key is to that sort of side of it is if you do if you do want to publish a book write the whole thing first then take yes. it to them 
And I think it's more authentic as well. 100%. You know what I mean? 100%, yeah. What can we learn in this book? You can learn about, you know, breaking free of the middle class. So for me, it's, it's the principles that I use from where I started to now. Um, it's about breaking free from the middle class because the biggest thing is, is what you see that Lamborghini, that's a result of something that you've learned, right? So what people see is they see the flashiness or they see the result but they don't see the, how did you get to the result? Yes. The six principles about the result, right? Changing a middle-class mindset to a wealthy mindset. I always talk about, we, are, we grow up, uh, majority of us, right? Most, most of us grow up disadvantaged in the way that we have people around us that are middle-class mindset. Yes. And that middle-class mindset means that we have basically a virus that's around us that teaches us to be exactly the same person as our parents, to yes. be the, exactly the same person as our neighbor, which they don't have what you want. So you have to redefine your, what I call your money blueprint, which yes. means, and, and the funny thing is like, it's something you constantly work on. It's not, yes. you know, it's like a muscle. You don't just, you don't just go, oh, I've changed my money blueprint. I now think like wealthy and abundant. Yes. You actually have to continue to work on it because if you don't, you slip back into scarcity because yes. the 99% of people in population are middle-class. So if majority are middle-class, what happens? you're going to become middle class very, very easily. So I actually try to get myself out and hang around people that uh, have that wealthy mindset, yes. that thinking in abundance, thinking that there's opportunities, not scarcity. Mm. And I'm trying to get around those people a lot more. Now, you don't have to be physically with them. It can be, you know, you could be live events, you know, the events that you do. It can be uh, books. It can be get, get yourself immersed mm. outside of the middle class for so long that you then block the noise of the middle class. Mm. And once you do that, you start to change the perception of how you view wealth, right? It's not really hard to make money. The hardest thing is to change the perception of how, to, how hard it is 100%. to make money. 100%. I mean, you know, um, uh, we are living in a times where we have so much access to yeah. knowledge. Yep. You know what I mean? Um, you know, imagine 50 years ago, how do you even buy the book? How do you yep. find buy the books right now? You know what? You know, I think we had a discussion that your, your book is going to come out in January physically to buy it. Yes. But you know what, Dan? I can't wait. Dan, Daniel. Yes. I, I, can't, I can't wait so I can buy it online today. Yes. Straight away. So yeah. We got, we got access to everything. I feel like this book is everything you have learned in it. Yeah. Yeah. It's my journey, basically. Yeah. I look forward to watching the next journey. Yeah. Because I feel like what you have done so far, because you're still, how old are you now? I just turned 33. 33. I feel like you've just been warming up to yeah. what's, what's to come. Hopefully. And, um, <laughs> uh, and I definitely look forward to watching more of your journey as well and having more of these conversations. And I definitely highly recommend for people to reach out to you to either read your book or join one of your courses because yeah. everything you're teaching people, you have done it. Yeah. And I don't support many people when it comes to them passing knowledge to others because unfortunately, we are living in society that people... Everybody is a life coach at age 20. Yeah. And they don't... Business they coach make, never created a business. Business coach <laughs> never created a business. And yeah. a lot of people are um, uh, using that as a vehicle to actually make money with yourself. Yeah. You do have a successful even bias agency. Yeah. And, um, and then you do have successful um, uh, you know, property investment business as well. And we've got a little dog here that is joining <laughs> us. Um, uh, if she comes again, um, we're going to give her with the book for free. <laughs> just, just kidding. I think Gemma that works with me, she'll kill me. But seriously, um, I actually look forward to reading this, this book um, myself. And, um, uh, and I'll give people a review what I think of it as yeah, well. Which I'm, be good. I'm sure it'll be, a, it'll be a great book as well. 
And um, welcome to Brisbane. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you for having me. It's been good. It's a little hotter here, though. <laughs> no, <laughs> a bit, I know. A little bit I, more humid. <laughs> I know, I know. But thank you. It's, it's been awesome. Pleasure. Yeah, it's thank you. Pleasure. Thanks for having me.